Hey everybody, it's your friendly neighborhood JD, and we are back with another episode of... Wait, can you... You hear that sound? Listen, do you, do you hear it? Of course you do. It's time for another episode of How I Got Tinnitus. That's right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of How I Got Tinnitus. I'm your host, JD, self-proclaimed tinnitus super dork. Yep, just tinnitus flipped my whole world upside down, and now here I am talking about it for you on the internet. In addition to that, I'm, I went back to school after 20 years off, and I'm having a rip-roaring time back in school working hard, studying psychology, and really excited about this upcoming spring semester where I'm going to be doing some studies in speech, language, and hearing sciences. So I'll definitely keep you all posted, but classes haven't started yet. In the meantime, I'm just nervously refreshing my online database, my school page, checking to see when textbooks are available because I want to get into those books, start learning. Anyway, how are you? This is the first episode of 2024. Can't believe it. New year. Let's, uh, I don't know, kind of strange vibe this holiday season. I don't know about you, but just seems like lots of stuff going on in the world. How are we supposed to stay on top of it? I don't know. How's the ringing in your ears doing? Mine's doing okay. I mean, it's there. It's there, but... If I'm being honest, I have these check-ins with myself. Hey, JD, how's the ringing in yours? Well, it's there. Some days it's louder than others, but it's not really that bad. Oh, good to hear. Aha, no pun intended. But, uh, and then I move on. Things have been going pretty okay in the tinnitus department for yours truly. So I'm super excited to share with you today's conversation with Dr. Amy Best, a.k.a. Need to Knows on the socials. Dr. Amy has been posting some really cool, interesting, I don't know if you would call it like behind the scenes. It's not really behind the scenes, but shares a lot of information about her life as an ENT surgeon. And it's, I've found it very informative. We've had some conversations throughout the years, back and forth, my little piddly diddly questions about tinnitus, just hoping that she could shed some light from her experience in that realm. We all know that that's one of the recommended pathways for folks complaining of this ringing in their ears or, and, and where, where do we go? Do we go to our, our doctor, our primary care physician? Do we go to the audiologist? Do we go to the ENT? Well, Amy has some opinions about that and we're going to hear from her. Uh, but without much further ado, I just wanted to take a second to do a little disclaimer time that's right folks just a quick little disclaimer to remind you that this show is in no way a substitute for medical advice just want to make that super clear i know the internet is full of people in the tinnitus realm especially trying to promise you some quick cure or tips and tricks on how to make your life easier when you've got tinnitus and that's all fine and good but 
that's not what we do here. We just talk about tinnitus. I, I will share with you my experience about what's worked for me. I even talk about it a little in this episode. But beyond that, just want to make it perfectly clear. This show, no substitute. You're looking for the cure? Go look somewhere else. Or, or look here, but you're not going to get it. And then go about your quest. And if you find it, please let me know. Okay, so with that being done... Let's get into the interview with Dr. Amy Best. Jeez. Uh, hi, Amy. Thanks for uh, chatting. Yeah, my pleasure. I know it's a hot topic, so. <laughs> <laughs> Tinnitus. Yeah. Um, you know, what's funny is the other day, I, w- I mean, or maybe not funny, I guess. I was just talking to someone two days ago, a good friend of mine, a bit older, but she was telling me about her tinnitus journey and how she, uh, her, she did the whole process. She went to her doctor, who then referred her to an audiologist, who then referred her to an ENT who then said, and they all basically said some version of the thing that we're so used to hearing. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's and I do or whatever. Yeah. What's that? The, the phrase, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. And so there's a whole bunch I'd love to chat with you about, not to mention like, I mean, you know, your social media and, and how you are, yeah, <laughs> like all this communication that you're doing in this like ENT space. I think it's cool that uh, we found each other's page. I, I found your page like very early on in the days of how right. I got tinnitus. So we've been sort of like online buddies for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's this whole relationship that tinnitus people seem to have with ENTs I don't think it's like generally the their favorite person to talk about going to but I think it's an essential part and uh, I, I I just love to hear your perspective about all of this stuff yeah for sure um yeah tinnitus tinnitus whichever one you want to call it I usually say tinnitus um is, you know, one of these symptoms that we see commonly in our ENT practice. And for the most part, it's one that we don't necessarily worry too much about, but it's definitely something worth having evaluated. And, you know, I tell, I counsel my patients, estimating that I probably see, you know, five to 10 tinnitus patients a week, just tinnitus okay like they don't necessarily have other symptoms right now delve into it they will have some symptoms um that may suggest potential underlying causes or contributors to their tinnitus but yeah by and large you know it's common we say probably about 15 to 20 percent of the population will will experience tinnitus at some point in their lives a lot of people have it chronically i've had tinnitus in my left ear for about 15 years since some noise induced trauma on that side and since taking some high dose tylenol pm when i was trying to sleep studying for boards so i feel for uh, patients um and you know as ent's when when patients develop it in both ears we don't necessarily have a level of major concern about that. Again, depending on the patient's history and everything, there may be things that we decide to test for or talk about, but 
um, in terms of worry. I think uh, I think that's one of the biggest things when people start developing tinnitus, they worry, what is this? What's going on, right? And as you probably know, that just makes it worse, right? That's what stress and anxiety um, is related to tinnitus and also makes tinnitus worse and louder. And so we find that often once uh, for a lot of patients, not for everybody, but for a lot of patients, once they have actually seen a doctor, been evaluated for the problem, talked, had a conversation with their doctor about it and kind of better understand what is or isn't going on, their symptoms get a little less, you know, it's like they can worry about it a little bit less and their brain can, can forget about, they're not wondering what, what is going on now in the context of one-sided ringing in the ear, typically we do recommend some sort of evaluation for that. That might be some imaging. Um, it depends on if it's pulsing, if it's a pulsing sound, some people get a pulsing ringing in their ears. And for that, we do a particular type of imaging to look for, um, like a vascular blood vessel tumor or aneurysm or something like that. Um, so one-sided ringing definitely warrants a medical workup. Uh, one-sided ringing in the context of hearing loss um, also definitely deserves pretty uh, expedient workup, I would say. If someone has pretty sudden hearing loss, we need to know what that hearing loss is from. Is it the is it the hearing organ and the hearing nerve, or is it um, fluid behind the eardrum? Those would be kind of the two most common reasons for that. So it's definitely something one-sided ringing definitely warrants workup. And in either case, both sides are just one side. You know, seeing an audiologist or seeing an ENT to get a hearing test um, is part of that workup. And we say that, you know, there, there's not a lot that we understand about ringing, but one thing we do understand is that it is associated with hearing loss. And I think in a lot of patients, myself included, it may not be that you actually have developed hearing loss, but it's that noise-induced trauma that may mean you can develop hearing loss down the road. Um, so it can be kind of a precursor to hearing loss. Um, so... Now, with that said, there are a lot of patients that I see, they come in with ringing in the ears, we do a hearing test, the hearing's completely normal. Um, and it's really nice when the hearing's not normal because then I can counsel them. I can say, well, as you have developed this hearing loss, your brain, the, there are hypotheses we have about this. We don't fully understand why. You know, we can't biopsy someone's brain while they're alive and experiencing tinnitus. So we, we have... Um, hypotheses about this. And we've taken information from what we see with vision loss. So if someone loses vision, like completely in one side of their eye, their brain will fill in the gaps sometimes and provide hallucinations. And so if you have hearing loss, what that means is that your hearing organ is not picking up the sounds that it used to, um, and it's not sending those sounds to the brain. And so there's information that the brain is no longer getting that it's used to getting. And that tinnitus is what we think that it's creating that sound to fill in the gaps. So we think the sound actually comes from the brain, not from the ear itself in a lot of cases. Um, so that's nice when, when patients have hearing loss because I can describe that to them and help them understand that a little bit better. It doesn't help us treat it necessarily, but it, it gives them a reason for its existence. Um, there's a lot though, even when I went through my training, you know, we, not to say we brush over it as, 
ENTs, but we do kind of because we don't understand it. As doctors, mm. as surgeons, we like to help people. We like to, to know what we're talking about. We like to have definitive answers. And medicine, there's so much that we still don't know. There's so much that we still don't understand, tinnitus being one of those things. And so, you know, we didn't spend a ton of time studying that in residency. I just, you just generally learn what's concerning, what to watch out for, and then kind of that blanket statement of like, there's nothing else to do. But I will say that in my practice, I've been out now for six years. Um, and in my own experience with tinnitus, I, like I said, there are things that now I'm like, okay, I, I, I think there are definitely other things that I can be talking with my patients about screening for allergies is one, you know, migraines. We talked briefly about history of um, anxiety, depression, TMJ is a big one. Um, I don't know if that's something you experience, but uh, TMJ, yeah, joint. a lot of people hold tension in their jaw joint and you can get a fair amount of ringing in the ears from that. I actually think that that's probably where most of mine comes from. I notice if I, I, I rarely get ringing anymore, but when I do, I notice that it's usually like after a night, I wake up and my jaw's really sore the next morning. Um, so, um, I also think a lot about, especially my older patients, uh, chronic arthritis in the neck. Um, neck pain and against that same sort of thing, that tension. Um, and then we know that there are certain exacerbating factors. So alcohol, uh, caffeine, nicotine, kind of all these things that almost increase the sensitivity of your brain are going to make ringing worse and can even bring ringing on. So those are definitely things I talked through, um, and mentioned to my patients. Um, and then depending on, you know, if someone comes in with their, the ringing was pretty sudden or relatively sudden, there's no trauma, they're younger. Um, sometimes I'll talk about drawing certain labs. I don't, there's not really data for this, but I'll look for like a vitamin D deficiency or a, a B, vitamin B deficiency, vitamin B, those, that complex of vitamins is neurosupportive. Um, so, you know, our, our nervous system has an immune system to it and things like folic acid, um, they, and zinc, zinc, magnesium, those are supplements that kind of support the nervous system. So sometimes we'll talk about maybe screening for those deficiencies. It can be hard to get insurance to pay for those labs. Um, and then sometimes we talk about trying those supplements. I'm curious, what all have you tried? Oh my gosh. As you were going through it, I was like, yeah, tried that one, tried that one, tried that one. And I had a whole bunch of questions popped up, especially like with the TMJ thing. Yeah. So yeah, the short version is I I tried everything. I, I mean, I remember day one looking up some goofy video of someone tapping the back of their head and I was like, it maybe, maybe it'll maybe it'll happen. Um when I read about TMJ, I did the I I could do it right now. If I tighten my jaw a bit, like if I clamp down, I can mm -hmm. feel like a light increase in the ringing that I'm mm -hmm. so used to. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I wondered, oh, could I massage my jaw? Could I loosen up? Could I do yoga enough that it would go away? Mm -hmm. uh, I even did some weird supplement stuff involving uh, niacin and mm -hmm. some mushroom extracts and stuff. Right. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, 
Did you try, so one of the most common ones that people try and that I would say some people get improvement with is lipoflavonoids. Yeah, that one I read about uh, in the rock and roll world. Some people look to a tweet exchange that Dave Mustaine, the lead singer and guitarist from Megadeth, had with some fans about how he addressed his own tinnitus. And yeah, I didn't, uh, I haven't done the lipoflavonoids. Okay. That is, that is one of the more common ones. Now, the problem that I say with any of these supplements for patients and especially my patient population, honestly, I work, um, at a hospital that serves kind of a lower socioeconomic, um, part of town. So I, my patients have a lot of limitations with over-the-counter purchases, but, um, for people who are willing to spend anything, this is part of why I tell my patients, you know, I'm like, you can, you can try anything out there. You may find something that works. The most common one I hear is the lipoflavonoids, um, that can get pretty expensive because you have to take a lot of them. Mm. Um, so, and that's what I say. That's the downfall is you may take this for four or six months. You may spend hundreds of dollars on it. And it never does anything for you. I can't promise you there's no data. There's no good randomized controlled trials that show that any of these supplements work compared to a placebo, you know, a pill that someone thinks they're taking for the symptoms. So um, lipoflavonoids, zinc, um, and the vitamin B complex, those would be kind of the three I will commonly mention to patients to say, if you're going to try anything, maybe start with these. Now, the, the two things that we do know work, and I'm sure you've read all about this, right? Um, in randomized controlled trials, or, or maybe it's not RCTs, but certainly some high-level data says that masking techniques and then uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. So masking techniques, you know, it's elementary sounding, but the idea is, um, especially in the context of hearing loss, but even out of out of having hearing loss, the idea is that the brain is like, it's on and it wants more stimulus, right? And so bringing in more information. So at night, for instance, if you have trouble falling asleep, running a fan, or for some people that's not enough, running a white noise machine, or like I have a white noise app on my phone. And for a while there, when I would have trouble sleeping because my ringing, I just turned that white noise app on and that would help me fall to sleep. Some people if they have hearing loss, wearing hearing aids can be useful just for the masking part of it because it brings in the sound that they're missing out on. Now, the trouble you run into there is insurance coverage for hearing aids. So if your hearing loss isn't bad enough, insurance may not pay for your hearing aids. Good news is now we have over-the-counter hearing aids available that are much more affordable. Limits to those, though, you know, over-the-counter hearing aids, um, they're like reader glasses. So they're not fine-tuned to your specific hearing loss needs. Um, they just generally amplify all sound. But for some people, they even if they don't have hearing loss or have minimal hearing loss, they choose to wear hearing aids just to bring in more sound to override the ringing that drives them crazy. So masking and then the cognitive behavioral therapy, I'll say I very rarely have a patient who takes me up on that. Um, but cognitive behavioral therapy is, you know, working with a psych, uh, psychotherapist or a psychiatrist. And it's kind of this mind over matter technique, right? You train yourself to forget the sound. And they do this for a lot of things, PTSD, um, other uh, medical uh, kind of psychosomatic symptoms. Um, so that is successful. And again, uh, the most 
patients aren't going to spend the money on that sort of therapist, aren't going to go to that extreme. But as you've probably experienced, there definitely are patients who are almost suicidal from oh, yeah. the ringing. And um, it's, you know, it's terrifying. It's terrifying for family members. It's terrifying for me as a physician. I would say I've probably in my whole career. So, you know, I've been out and practice on my own for six years, then did residency for five years. So over 10 years of experience in the ENT world, I probably have only seen like three of those people who are that bad. Mm. Um, but it does happen. And uh, those people, I mean, they need to be seen a psychiatrist or a therapist for other reasons too, but, but definitely for their ringing. Um, so those are the treatment options that we know work. Um, but then, yeah, I, yeah, I talked some already about the things I screen for. Um, other things that I screen for would be like obstructive sleep apnea. And, you know, you've started to mention yoga. Could you do enough yoga to get it to go away? So, um, you know, again, I'm not certain that there's definitive data out there about the correlation between obstructive sleep apnea and tinnitus. But the way I think about it is when we go to sleep and when we get good restorative sleep, our brain, our, our body is regenerating, you know, our brain is healing from that day's work. And so I do believe if you're not getting good enough sleep, that can be a major reason for ringing, whether that's obstructive sleep apnea or just not sleeping enough. Um, so yeah, I will often screen for those symptoms. You know, do you snore? Do you wake up multiple times throughout the night? How is your sleep? Do you wake up feeling well rested? And similarly, um, again, you mentioned yoga. So, you know, good breathing technique and habits. Um, we see, I've seen a lot of tinnitus with COVID and I can't remember what was your story. You, uh, you told yeah, I yeah. playing lots of loud music and stress, but I really noticed it in the peak of COVID and yeah. I not not uh alongside any known infection. I if I had it, I was asymptomatic, though I suspect I might have hadn't had it gotten it at the very beginning. But yeah, it was like in the middle of COVID times and then just suddenly the ringing and I went to the ENT and I was one of those I refused to leave the office. I mean, it's not like I dug my heels in or anything, but I, <laughs> I kind of made it clear to the person. I said, you know, I don't really feel good about leaving this office unless I have some idea of something I could do. And they said, well, uh, CBT is an option. And I said, sign me up. And that's the course I went. I got my white noise machines that night. And uh, how was, see, I would love to hear about your experience with CBT. Yeah, it's uh it was good. It definitely gave me a tool kit to help me work through. Um you know, you 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 hit us with so much powerful information, but I do agree that a lot of the early work uh ENT visits and audiology visits was very important in setting up a foundation of learning that I was in fact okay because the sensation I had associated with the ringing was that I was not mm -hmm. uh, and I was even lucky enough to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, with someone who works at Mass Eye and Ear who just mm -hmm. 
who just laid it out for me and was like, what you're dealing with is very, very common. And there's so many people out there who've made it, you know, and I, I just didn't think that was possible at first. And being able to talk to my ENT and say, ask the question, like, at first I was scared that it was just going to keep getting louder. And right. like, like there, the, like there was no limit. I, I didn't think there was like a, a, a set volume cap on the tinnitus. And I was scared that it was going to drown everything out. So getting that knowledge was helpful. But furthermore, the experience of undergoing CBT uh, was very helpful in that uh, in the wake of my you know, very brief medical education about what was going on in my head. Uh, having a psychotherapist walk through with me the mental processes. One of the earliest exercises that we did in CBT was I did this catalog of my thoughts and feelings associated with those basically every hour of every day for seven days. It, it was easier than it sounds, but I'd basically journal like three times a day yeah. and sum up how I was feeling and got to identify certain triggers or things that seemed to be setting off bad moods. And and pretty much all my bad moods were tied in with my tinnitus at the time. And being able to look at those on paper was uh, very helpful. And, yeah. and then regular meetings, talking through it with him, I think we met over the course of three months and... By the end, I didn't want to say goodbye. I was basically like a, like a, a crying kid getting dropped off at daycare, but he, he basically <laughs> had to say like, go get him, Tiger. And I, I asked him it when he was like, I could tell you, he was like trying to end the last phone call. And I was like, what, what can I do? Like, I have to do more about this. And he goes, I don't know. You could go to school and learn how to help people with tinnitus. I was like, well, I Maybe guess I'll be doing that. So, so that's where I'm at. So do you think it helped at all? Uh, yes and no. Sometimes I, I, I've mentioned this recently a couple of times, but I, I spoke with my friend Frank Wardinger at Talking Ears podcast. And um, we made this joke about how the whole, there's nothing you can do. You're just going to have to learn to live with it is like, buying a piece of ikea furniture and the only thing that you have to put it together is that silly little wrench that they give you and um so i think a lot of people in the early days are looking for like a pill or a prescription that'll take it away and i think the 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 really hard thing to come to terms with is that it's it's going to take a lot of work whatever it is um but short answer, yeah, yeah, it did it did help uh, in that it gave me again a, a a toolkit that helped me navigate a lot of stuff. It's I mean the whole reason I have a show about all of this is because I'll probably be dissecting it for years, and I'm gonna keep doing it. Um, and it's certainly a field that you know needs more research. I know there's the to anyone watching this who's not familiar, you know, the American Tinnitus Association website, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of information on there. And I think uh, if there are studies, ongoing studies and things that are being done are posted on there. But um, 
Yeah. I, like I said, like a lot of things in medicine, it's something we still need to learn so much more about. And I have faith that we will over time, but uh, it, it's incredible how much we already know about the human body. Sometimes I'm, you know, I'm amazed whoever learned this stuff, you know, obviously mm -hmm. my generation shoulders of giants that people went up that went before us to learn all of this. And I can only imagine 200 years from now where, where yeah, we where will we'll be innovation and understanding. And, um, yeah, so that definitely a lot more research that needs to be done. I'm, I'm glad that you've at least found, you know, your, your own kind of niche in that. Um, yeah, with CBT, I, like I said, I really haven't ever had a patient take me up on that offer to do that. So I've never really been able to follow up with someone to see if it worked for them. And I imagine it doesn't make it go away, but makes it more manageable. Yeah. That's, a, that's a way of putting it. It's, it, it took me a while, even months after the, the end of that treatment period, it, it, it really, uh, it had to settle, but everyone's different and someone might find you know, quote unquote, relief in the in the first moments of of their sessions, because as I'm learning, I, I used to ask folks the question, how loud is your tinnitus on a scale of one to 10, as if it could be ranked? And they're like, what does that even mean? And <laughs> uh, I s slowly started to realize like, oh, like, it's really hard to explain the impact because it's not just one thing. It's it's impacted by so many so many factors mm -hmm. um mm. i i i'm so curious about so many things but you did mention this what what you were just talking about this you don't know that many folks who you've seen out the door who have taken you up on your cbt recommendation mm -hmm. and one thing that i'm just so curious about is this pathway for the tinnitus patient if you if you want to say it like that like do you have any thoughts about all of that i mean it it does make sense that they go to say an audiologist first and then they go to an ent to make sure or in some cases yeah. maybe some folks are able to get for me i kind of feel like um so we have an audiologist in the office right yes. and a lot of my patients, I'm, I'm sure that my audiologist sees, um, she, she has her own schedule and she, she sees patients outside of the ones that myself and my colleagues send her. But um, I would say most of the tinnitus patients kind of come to me first and then we get the hearing test during mm. the visit, mm. kind of a dual sort of thing. And I do think, though there are plenty of audiologists that are well-equipped to talk about tinnitus too, I do think that it's worth seeing an ENT. And again, in most cases, most ENTs have audiologists in the office. Mm -hmm. So you might be able to skip a step if you just get the referral to the ENT straight away, rather than going down a pathway of, you know, choosing some random audiologist, because there are audiologists that are not affiliated with ENTs. There are plenty out there who are selling hearing aids and um, in their own practices. Um, so I, you know, the simplest route I think is the direct referral from the primary care to the ENT. And then when you see the ENT, you're gonna get that hearing test. Hmm. Um, 
you know, we obviously need to examine the ears. So though ringing can be for no good reason, there are patients who are plugged off with wax and that's why they have some ringing. Right. I wish, I wish that was my case. <laughs> I wish that there was that easily reversible thing. There are patients who have chronic middle ear fusion. They have fluid behind the eardrum um, that is causing their ringing. Or again, this idea of like actual hearing loss that we need to talk about and treat, especially if it's just in one ear. So I think that that's the, the, easiest pathway um, is to schedule with the ENT and um, the audiologist. Now, there are some primary care doctors who I think if a patient has ringing in both ears, they kind of can, they feel empowered to take it upon themselves to counsel those patients on, you know, what that means. If, if the patient's denying any hearing loss, if they've examined them and they feel like they look pretty good, um, I, you know, there are plenty of times where they don't necessarily recommend any referral. And I don't think that that's a wrong approach either for a patient who is settled in their tinnitus. But if someone is bothered by it, I think it's worth discussing with, with an ENT. Um, again, if nothing else, but to kind of screen for some of these other things. So yeah, I started to talk about nasal breathing a little bit. And then I, I mentioned COVID and that's where I wanted to check with you. I couldn't remember if you got your ringing like right after a COVID infection, but definitely in the past few years, I've seen a handful of patients who developed really bad bilateral ringing um, with a COVID infection or right after their immunization or something. Um, and I would say that this is suggesting um, a bit, we, we know that COVID we've really come to believe that like long COVID symptoms are partially related to this kind of autonomic nervous system regulation, deregulation, dysfunction. So the autonomic nervous system is our fight or flight system. We have the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight side of it. We have the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the flight side of it. Um, and we actually, there's some recent data suggesting like the loss of smell and taste associated with COVID may be due to this autonomic nervous system dysfunction. And so um, seeing this ringing with COVID, not only is COVID highly inflammatory, and I do believe that inflammation, whether it's in your jaw joint or your middle ear, or whatever, out due to allergies, I think that that can exacerbate ringing. Um, so whether it's the inflammation from the COVID or maybe this autonomic nervous system dysfunction causing it, um, I think it could help us maybe understand ringing in general. And again, in patients who have ringing without hearing loss or without any clinical findings, clinical reasons for it. So when I think about autonomic nervous system dysfunction, um, we have certain receptors in our nose that help to kind of guide our stress level and guide our autonomic nervous system. Um, and so yoga and deep breathing exercises and, and good breathing exercises through the nose, I think, again, no data, this is my opinion, I think can be helpful for some patients experiencing tinnitus. And I will admit for me, I don't, I don't know what it is that my ringing has gotten really so much better in the last few years. i I've done yoga now for um, six years pretty regularly, but more regularly in the past few years. Um, 
and then I did. So like with the TMJ stuff, I actually got adult braces. Uh, I got them off four years ago. Yeah. So I had them like five years ago. I got adult braces. I had had braces when I was younger, but my um, lower teeth had shifted and my bite was just kind of off and my jaw was bothering me often. And you know, I went and saw an orthodontist, had a consultation. I really wanted to do Invisalign. He was like, Invisalign's not going to work. You need actual braces, which I was not thrilled about. Um, and he was like, obviously this will improve the cosmesis a bit, the cosmetics. It may help your jaw joint. I can't guarantee that. Um, but I, I do think I definitely have seen an improvement in my jaw joint since doing the adult braces. Um, I feel like I got very lucky that it did help with that too, but I, so I don't know if it's that, that my jaw got a bit better, that my ringing got better, or if it's the yoga that I do all the time, or just maybe where I'm at in my life. I'm a little, even though we talked early on, I'm busy. I'm a little less stressed than I was for years when I was in residency and early in practice and an early mom and all that. Um, so all that to say, I think that breathing and regulation of the autonomic nervous system is something we should or could be looking toward in terms of kind of treatment plan or treatment options for patients. And again, certainly I screen, I screen for whether someone has trouble breathing through their nose. I screen for the allergies that I mentioned. Um, if patients haven't been on Flonase, you know, I love my Flonase. If they haven't been on Flonase, I say, give it a try, see what happens. You know, it's not, can't hurt you. It has very minimal side effects. Um, so yeah, that's, I think to me, the association between COVID and ringing has kind of shed maybe some light on that ANS dysfunction as mm. a possible contributing factor. It's uh yeah, my my ENT told me that their tinnitus claims, and this was in 2021, so I wonder how it's changed since then. Um they said they were seeing an uptick of something along the lines of like 240% is the stat wow. they gave me. Um, wow. They said they were just seeing so many. I mean, I, honestly, I was surprised that you saw as many as what, what, what did you say? Six or seven, six to 10? Probably about five to 10, somewhere between five to 10 patients a week. It, probably on the lower side of that, I may have been over guessing to say yeah, 10. Yeah. 10 but but that, that, that's still not a small number. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, so maybe I didn't phrase it as well. And I, I'm glad for the clarification about ENT can be sort of a one-stop shop. And I think that's like a, that's honestly where I went. I ended up going to the audiologist second in order to get my very helpful custom molded earplugs, which are great. But <laughs> um, uh, I guess I'm just curious from, you know, cause I talk to a lot of uh people on the, I guess you could say the patient side. And the thing that a lot of us experience is this sort of frustration in the whole process because we're so used to going to the doctor and like getting fixed, right? And this isn't so cut and dry. And I, I guess I'm just curious if you have any like thoughts, feelings, impressions about the way that the system is able to address the needs of the patient here. It's it's kind of an open-ended thing, but... Yeah. Well, I have a few thoughts about that. First of all, in terms of like cognitive behavioral therapy, 
Okay. So we all know mental health is not, um, it, it is not covered the way that it should be by, uh, insurance or whatever, you know, like it, 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 mental health, there is a big miss there in terms of mental health access, right. Mm. And in a lot of ways, you know, you have to, you know, if you just want to go see a therapist, then you're paying 125 bucks a session or something. A lot of people don't have that money. And I think that crosses into that line of cognitive behavioral therapy as well, right? In a lot of cases, this is not going to be something paid for by insurance um, and you're going to pay out of pocket for it. And so there, there's a huge gap there for sure. And I, I definitely have, yes, feelings about all that. I don't know how we fix that. Um, I, I definitely think it's unfortunate. I always think about, I think it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the, you have to have your like basic needs met before you can even start to like work on yourself, if you will. And, um, there are so many people who are hardly even able to get to that point of having their basic needs met. They can't even start to think about therapy of any kind. So that's definitely a gap in healthcare there. Now, in terms of like what we have to offer tinnitus patients right now, um, I mean, I can't say that there's really anything missing because we, we, we don't have much to offer. I just think so much of it is, it's the way that your physician communicates with you about it, I think is so important. And a lot of us physicians, myself included, we're busy, we're busy, um, you know, seeing four patients an hour or whatever, bopping from room to room. Um, and ENTs are surgeons, um, which I don't necessarily practice this way. I didn't choose ENT just because it was a surgical field. I actually liked the fact a lot of surgical subspecialties, like most of the patients they see, they're going to be operating on. Okay. It's mostly surgical for ENT. There's a lot of medicine involved in it, but I would say there are definitely plenty of ENTs who you know, who are heavier on that surgical side or really only wanting to see patients that they're going to do surgery on ultimately. And I find that a lot of, um, those personalities probably are the ones who spend less time. It's like, you just pop in and you're like, yeah, there's nothing I can do here, move along. Um, and so it's finding just the right person to connect with that can, can talk to you about it in a way that is compassionate, um, in a way that's thorough, in a way that, you know, makes you feel understood and, um, can provide some options, you know, again, they're like, like I said, I, I have a spiel, which I pretty much already given it during this talk now that I give to my patients. I say, here are the things you can try. Just know that there's no data behind any of it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if that answers your question. Um, but no, I, there, do. I, I don't think that we're necessarily misserving patients, if that makes sense. Like if there's really not like many other pathways to go, seeing a neurologist for, or something is not going to be the right way. Right. Um, uh, so I think the pathway that we have is appropriate. It's just, we just don't, the, 
we don't have enough information yet to really be able to help much more, mm-hmm. but again, that could change in the future. Yeah. And I guess uh, with that and very thoughtful response, I, I guess I just wonder, I I've been interested to hear from folks out in the world lately. What do we see as possible, even if we're just wishing upon a star, what what could we see as possible in ways of improving? Yeah, like I got the impression when I was at my ENT, like, oh, this person is super busy. They have to go. They have to go. And and they've already told me that there's not much they can do for me, at least in this capacity. What are we going? What are the next steps? And I, I, I like to think that I'm pretty respectful of folks being able to do their job and I wanted to let them go. But I also needed my information. And I've read some papers, like uh, my understanding is that there's like an effort within the VA hospital system of developing like all under one roof sort of uh, treatment capacity for especially tinnitus patients, because that's like one of the biggest claims within the VA. And so they're talking about having like uh, ENTs and 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 audiologists and even psychologists all under one roof with the intention of being able to to treat folks. So I guess like if I were SpongeBob SquarePants going into my little imagination box, I I would hope for from my perspective to be able to say like if I were to start all over again and I went to my ENT's office and they said, "Hey, here's this spiel." Um, by the way, uh, we have someone in house that could help you out. I'll just, you yeah. Know. Yeah. Do you think that's like even possible? I, I will say, I think that that is a bit of a stretch for, for like an everyday ENT office. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think it's, I mean, tinnitus is common, but I don't think it's common enough that patients would utilize that. Mm. Um, and that relationship with the psychologist, I mean, they would have to be busy enough with CBT patients for tinnitus to maintain a practice there, you know? Mm-hmm. So you know, often how this works, instead of being under the same roof, you have certain uh, relationships and people, you know, just like I have certain primary care doctors who send their patients to me every time because they trust what I have to say to my patients and how I treat them, Um So it's that referral basis. I don't think it necessarily has to be like a one-stop shop under one roof. Now, I think that that's amazing that the VA is doing that in a high-volume tinnitus center. And like you said, yes, it's one of their highest claims. A lot of uh, vets will get disability for their tinnitus and for their hearing loss. So somewhere like that, that's a great place to start a model like that. And maybe someday there's a a center like that in every state, you know, Mm -hmm. but probably not, but probably not like just any ENT office is going to have that. Um, I think, I think it's a reasonable thing to consider for, yeah, kind of a, and, and, you know, you went to Mass Ioneer, most of the academic institutions, that's where a center like that would be best served because that's also where you get research grants and you have labs and you have the, the PhDs doing the um, studies in the background and everything. For me, I practice out in the community. So, you know, my my office, that sort of setting, it wouldn't make sense. But eventually someday could, could a center like that 
in every state be something useful for patients? Probably so, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But then, and this is me just being frank, you know, tinnitus, though it can be debilitating for a lot of people, we also then have to think about where we're putting our medical money. And there are many cancers we still don't know about. And we're trying to learn about how to treat and actually save lives. And I, I, again, I hate to say that and downplay it because I do know it can be debilitating enough that it causes suicide, but like, you know, we have, you have to think about where you're putting that money. Mm-hmm. And so to start centers like that, you need someone like you, who's passionate about this topic, who has, you know, millions of dollars. And they say, I'm going to fund this center, right? Yeah. That's really what you need. Um, because this is for the most part, a quality of life symptom. Mm. And honestly, a lot of what I do in ENT and it's like, it's a great thing. I love that. I don't have to watch people get really ill and, and, um, you know, ultimately expire or die from their medical problems. Like I don't see a whole lot of that in my practice. Um, but it's tricky because, I, uh, what I tell my patients is this, yeah, I'm a quality of life doctor, not a quantity of life doctor. Um, so the things that I'm saying you can do here, it's really up to you how far you want to go, how far you want to push it, how much time you want to spend on these symptoms, how much money you want to spend on over-the-counter therapies, remedies, how much you want to go through for a surgery or something. Obviously there's no surgery for tinnitus, but other problems. So um, yeah, for our quality of life symptoms, we're going to have a, a difficult time ever getting any sort of like governmental funding from that, if you will, you know? Right. right. Yeah. There's, there's someone I've, I've wanted to talk to for a while and they're on the list, but, uh, yeah, they have some ideas about government communication and all that stuff. And I've, I've been interested what it might take. I hear you on the, the realities. And fortunately for me, I have seen that on the other side, this whole tinnitus debacle for me has been in some ways a weird gift. Like it's, it's taught me a lot more than I could have possibly imagined. While at first it was, yeah, it was quite debilitating. Uh, It got to a point where it just got me curious. And of course it got me started on this podcast. It got me started going back to school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now I see life in a in a very different way. It's been quite the process, and I don't think most people have the wherewithal to devote the resources to it like I have. Um, hopefully, it doesn't gobble me up. I think I'm I'm coming out okay right now. But uh, yeah, well, I was. I think a lot of things in medicine where the the strides have been made have been from people's personal experiences, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, people give to certain organizations because of their emotional ties to it. Right. So I think, I think that what you're doing is important and it is people like you who ultimately will drive the force of um, tinnitus research and uh, innovation. So yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you're able to look at it that way. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm, 
can't always see it that way. <laughs> yeah, I just got to make a couple more millionaire friends. Yeah, 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 I mean, I've heard some stories that Dr. Joseph Rauschiker has uh, alluded to. He hasn't disclosed the identity of some extremely wealthy donor. My suspicion has always been that it's Phil Collins. Uh, but uh, some wealthy donor Why? gave him a bunch. What's that? Why do you think Phil Collins? I, I I just kind of pulled it out of a hat. But my understanding is that Phil Collins basically went into early retirement uh, because as a result of his having tinnitus. I mean, and as a artist, I really appreciate. I don't know if you've ever seen footage of Phil Collins performing back in the day. I grew up watching this one concert video is the weirdest thing. It, it's um, Phil Collins. Eric Clapton and Bakithi Kumalo, who played bass on Paul Simon's Graceland. That's where I know him from. But this okay. power trio all covering each other's songs. And I saw that performance when I was, I don't know, 14, 15. And Phil Collins goes hard. And so to me, it's no wonder he he has tinnitus. But yeah, the, the rumor is that he went into early retirement because okay. he couldn't tolerate the ringing in his ears. Um, there's all sorts of high level musicians and, and recently, uh, one of my favorite tinnitus, uh, podcasts, tinnitus talk, they interviewed this guy, Brian Pollard, who's like a video game guy who, who made a lot of money in video games and he donated a lot to research. So, um, you know, early on in my whole tinnitus career, you and I spoke and I asked the internet, like, where do you think where do you think the work should go in order to help folks with tinnitus and you voted neuroscience and I yeah. think uh, neuroscience research specifically. So now I work in a neuroscience lab. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so it's super fun. Uh, but if you just look at a graph of the progress of neuroscience research over the past 30 years, I mean, the last five 10, five to 10 years, it's just been skyrocketing. So we're learning a lot in a relatively short amount of time. So we're going to be seeing some very interesting things there. Yeah, I um, when I was in a residency, I worked in a research lab, we were studying facial nerve regeneration, um, and some different techniques too. So in ENT, the facial nerve is a major nerve that is at risk of injury during uh, various surgeries, one of them being ear surgery, because it actually runs through the ear bone, the mastoid ear, um, and then it comes out and serves the face. Um, so yeah, we did some specific rat studies uh, during that time. Um, and when I was with the lab that I was working in, one of the PhD students, she gave a presentation. I forget exactly the title of her presentation, but this is where I first kind of learned about this idea of the nervous system having its own immune system. Um, and so I've kind of taken that information that I learned from her presentation in that lab group and in, in trying to explain to my patients tinnitus and also just trying to kind of wrap my brain around it too. And that's where I was kind of saying, I feel, I, I, you know, I feel like anything that can cause inflammation, whether it's that you have a cold or COVID or whatever can cause this uptick in ringing because your, your, your nervous system 
your immune system of the nervous system is going a bit awry, if you will, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's where, so like zinc and vitamin B, uh, are those neurosupportive, um, medications that can help support that immune system that supports the nervous system. I don't remember all of the bio chemical science behind that, but I have just kind of like a high level, uh, very scoped out idea of right. what. And so one of the ways I describe um, tinnitus to my patients is like, you know, when you fall asleep on your arm and it mm. tingles, um, that's your, that's your nerve that's been compressed and has become inflamed and it's tingling. And so I kind of use that as an, a metaphor, an analogy to maybe how you're experiencing the ringing. It's like that ringing's occurring because there's some element of inflammation going on there. And whether that inflammation is because those nerve cells are dying because they've been traumatized from too much noise, um, whether the thing it's the middle ear that's inflamed, whether it's a jaw joint that's inflamed. Um, yeah, that's kind of a, another way we think about it. So that's all in that neuroscience umbrella, yeah. you know, lab that I worked in is a neuroscience lab. Um, and yeah, we're seeing nerve work, not just in terms of tinnitus, but many other, um, elements of nerve work, uh, that we are starting to understand the nervous system a lot better. Right. Right. It's so interesting that, you know, all those, those things that you brought up at the very at the top of this conversation, the things that you might address, they they're all so interconnected. And all of these, while we might experience tinnitus as like an acute thing, it really does seem to have so many factors that play into it. I mean, the noise trauma seems to be very popular to point the finger at, but it really has so many connections to so many other things. And I've been looking a lot lately at long-term solutions, like how to make sustainable change that has a lasting impact. And it seems that maybe, you know, the number one way to help people with tinnitus, I've heard from some folks, is education. Yeah. Uh, just about their own tinnitus, but moving forward, if we were to want to make the most impact for the most people, it seems that an awareness, increased awareness about how to benefit all these various systems and processes that would be involved in this this vitamin B or the yoga or the nasal breathing or the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. um, it just seems like there's a lot of work to do there as well. And, and, you know, going like, I guess, sort of transitioning into the work that you, yeah. that I am used to uh, seeing you do is your work on social media, like communicating these complex things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, patient education is um, really important to me and it's one of the things I'm most passionate about. And I actually, enjoy it in my job. I don't always enjoy how much time it takes up, but, um, I 
yeah, you know, I started uh, my account Need to Knows because of that passion and also just kind of as a creative outlet, a way to kind of bring me back to enjoying my job. I got into a place where I was getting a little bit burnt out, I will admit, and it has reignited a spark for me of uh, learning and education and uh, how those intertwine, you know, starting my account, I'm teaching people, but honestly, I've learned so much just by starting my account and connecting and networking with others. Um, but yeah, I agree. That's a, awareness and education is key here. And that sort of, again, that compassionate type of education. And I pride myself on, I think, I mean, I know I don't do it perfectly, but on my page, you know, I want to be thorough and accurate, um, but I try to talk about things, first of all, just like I talk about it with my patients. Um, so like we talked about at the beginning of this, this discussion, so it's there in a place. I say these things all day, every day. Let me put it in a place that's easy to access, but easy for my patients to understand and easy for anyone reading it to understand, trying to put it into lay terms, if you will, um, you know, medical jargon there, there's, there's so much out there and, um, it, it can be really hard to break things down into a way that you, you think you're communicating something in a way that a person would understand it, but then you just realize it's easy to miss that mark. So it's, it is really hard to do that perfectly, but mm. I pride myself on feeling like the content I try to create is approachable and easily digestible, if you will. Um, and, um, yeah, help, uh, hopefully it helps people mm. better understand what they're going through. You have any, uh, any lessons in particular you've learned have, have helped you to be better able to communicate more, like more effectively? You know, I feel like it's just a, it's been a process for me. Um, I learn a lot from the questions people ask me then, like if I communicate something and then the patient patient or someone reaches out on social media to clarify something that helps me, uh, helps direct me and how I might communicate that again in the future, you mm -hmm. know? So a lot of it, I think is the, the feedback I get from what I, I say, and I try to, um, especially when I'm educating patients, I try to ask, you know, does this make sense to you? And a lot of times the feedback is, yeah, I never, you know, no one's ever described it like that. But, um, so yeah, I think I get better at it every, every day is a little much, but you know, over even since starting need to know over the last year and a half, I, there are definitely spiels that I give that I have edited and changed over that time, just better understanding how people are receiving what I'm saying. Mm. So that, uh, yeah, I can't say that there's like a, you know, a, a list of lessons, but that's just kind of the general, um, lesson I've learned is just always wa watching for that feedback to continue to improve. I mean, I think that's, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I touched on it and you gave some really good answers, but I definitely feel like that's the key as far as like attainable goals go for the frustrated tinnitus patient, I think just to like to put out the wishy language out there is like, I would hope that the 
the industry? What what would be the term? The 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 healthcare profession yeah. would at large be able to incorporate. And I understand, especially now more than ever, that they're so inundated with so many serious things. But I think there's a lot of people out there in the tinnitus world that might hope that some feedback is taken, heard, and integrated. I honestly, being where I am at this point and all the countless conversations I've had about it, I honestly don't know either. So it's going to take some real brainiacs to figure it out. But yeah. And I hear what you're saying, you know, on that side of things, you guys would appreciate like healthcare advocacy for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But that that's just to say, like, what, if we get to talk about it a little bit more, then maybe those things will start to happen. I, I, it's, it's, it's great to hear some of those realities um, from someone in your position who, is doing all of this work and to get a bit of a, yeah, I I'm in like tinnitus zone 98% of my week. That's just like what I think about what I talk about. Um, and to, to get a reality check from time to time to say like, you know, there's, there's other super important things that we're also addressing. So. Yeah. And not to underplay it by any means, but, but it, um, yeah, as an, an ENT, it's so broad. We see, you know, we take care of obviously ears, nose, and throats. So yeah. there's, it, it, though it's all interconnected um, in a way, the, it is also different, you know? So my brain is constantly going 100 miles an hour. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It, when I'm jumping from one patient to the next, it's like I go from taking care of this problem to this other mm-hmm. problem. And mm-hmm. then, then you have surgery and, um, you're, you're focused in on that and the anatomy and doing it safely and effectively and just, there's a a lot, but yeah, I mean, part of why, again, I started need to know is to, um, be a bit of an advocate and to spread awareness, not about tinnitus specifically, but definitely that's one of those things because it's a common problem. I know it affects a lot of people. So, um, yeah. Cool. Well, we super appreciate what you're doing and, you know, maybe we can get a little more uh, tinnitus content from you in the future. <laughs> I, have you ever really touched on it? I don't think you've really. No, like... I've only done, um, I know two things for sure. I did like a post uh, a long time ago that was like five things to know about tinnitus. Um, and then I did kind of a funny one. It was like a bell ringing because that's how it is for me. Sometimes, you know, you go to lay down to uh, ear starts ringing and then maybe one other post. And no, I've not done a ton of tinnitus content. And honestly, I mean, I go through spurts with my content. It's like, we, we talked, you know, at the beginning, I'm, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> I thought I started this account when I thought I had time for it. And then I got even busier at work. Um, so I just try to do what I can when I can, uh, when I feel like it. And tinnitus is definitely a topic that is something I, I want to come back to, you know, I, I know that's something that bothers a lot of people and I definitely have more that I, I have ideas for days. I just don't have the time to make the content. So (laughs) you and me both. Yeah. Well, with all that being said, I want I want to be respectful of your time. Thanks so much for taking an hour out of your afternoon to talk with me about this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All yeah, right. Super appreciate it.